Hello and welcome to the Whole Heffin Show. This is your host, Jeremy Jimenez. This week, we're going to do a quick recap of NXT, and then I'm going to tackle a little decade in review with WWE, some of the most important, or at least I think, some of the biggest moments of the decade. Um, so the NXT review is going to be rather quick bullet points, and then I'll get to what I wanted to talk about, which is something I've been thinking of since I saw a uh, item on um, WWE social media that said, um, that was asking, what do you think the biggest moment of the decade is? So I'm doing a little, um, I guess, timeline. I was trying to go year by year, but a couple of the um, things I mentioned or that I thought of on my list might not might encompass two things in a year or something like that but we'll get there let's do a quick recap of nxt this is all coming off the top of my head so bear with me um this is um thursday night the 12th of december as i'm recording this and um the nxt uh, episode has not pop popped on the wwe network yet so that's why it's my over my head i haven't been able to rewatch the show but it did start off quite hot with a Cruiserweight Championship match between Leo Rush and Angel Garza. This was a rematch from several weeks ago where Leo Rush beat Angel Garza, even though Garza's foot was on the rope. Um, they've been teasing this for a while. And um, very good match. These two work quite well together. And in the end, Angel Garza got the win. And um, won the title, which kind of surprised me. I didn't think this feud was going to end with Garza winning the title. And it might not be over yet anyway. But um, good news. Um, Garza, um, well, it ended with um, Leo Rush hitting the um, final hour frog splash inside the ring. And Garza rolled to the outside. And, Garza try or, um, and then Leo Rush tried to hit it on the outside from the top and Garza got his knees up threw him threw Leo in hit him with his wing clipper finisher and Leo kicked out of that but he quickly um Garza quickly um hooked him with the wing clipper seated um in a um kind of submission move that um looked rather painful I was surprised that Leo actually tapped out to it. I figured he was going to find a way out of it. But that's okay. Um, anyway, we have a new Cruiserweight champion in Angel Garza. Leo Rush um, did a commendable job in reestablishing the Cruiserweight um, Championship on television. Um, I don't think this feud is done, but we will see. Uh, then, um, during the commercial break took a little long for a commercial and then we found out why when they came back um angel garza proposed to his girlfriend during the commercial break with the cruiserweight championship so apparently he had that all set up congratulations to him and best of luck in his personal life his professional life just took a huge step up and we'll see where things go um, next match was uh, Raul Mendoza versus Cameron Grimes. This was revenge from last week. 
when Grimes took out Mendoza, when Mendoza was going to fight Kushida. Uh, Kushida came out and provided the distraction for Mendoza to roll Grimes up in what I believe is Mendoza's first television victory. So, good for Mendoza. That means that um, maybe they had plans for him. But the real story here is Cameron Grimes and Kushida in their bubbling feud, which will probably go into next year, hopefully to take over. That would be great. As for um, Raul Mendoza, they might be setting him up as a challenger for Angel Garza down the road, even though they just had a match on 205 Live, that um, a good match that um, Angel Garza won. And um, the time will tell with those. Um, I feel like I'm missing something. Let me see. Okay, and then, um, oh, yes, um, they're teasing the Worlds Collide some more. Um, they had Travis Banks fight Gunner of the Forgotten Sons and actually beat Gunner clean with his slice of heaven um, disaster kick or whatever you want to call it. I, I was kind of surprised at that result. I figured um, Gunner was going to get the win. But um, Travis Banks is a well-traveled, well-respected veteran. And um, considering last week when they started teasing this World Collides tournament, um, NXT won, NXT UK getting a, a win this week makes sense. And the Forgotten Sons, nothing against, nothing against them. They're, they're all at least decent in the ring, but I just find the gimmick rather boring. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, moving on, the next item on the docket was my favorite thing, the NXT Women's Division, which had, um, Mia Yim going up against Dakota Kai. Um, good, good match again. Dakota Kai seems to deliver every week, every time she's in the ring. She delivers a good match with whoever she's in the ring with. Same with Mia. Um, they work pretty well together. Um, Dakota Kai um, wound up. Um, she has the um, her first villainous um, Titan Tron back, by the way. Anyway, I don't know why they switched that out. But um, she grabbed Titan Knox's knee brace and the ref took it from her. And while the ref was, I guess, depositing that to someone at the outside, Dakota took off the um, top turnbuckle. And ran Mia, Mia Yim into it, rolled her up, one, two, three. Dakota Kai actually got a much-needed win. Um, there was some post-match shenanigans, which led to Mia Yim um, back-suplexing Dakota Kai through a table, which looked extra painful. Um, and um, the NXT faithful were chanting one more time, and Mia Yim at clearly said, y'all crazy, and the NXT universe is a little crazy sometimes. Hopefully, um, Dakota's okay. I haven't seen any um, negatives um, on her, because it looked like she might have clipped her head on the table next to the one she went through. Um, she can ill afford an injury right now, but she seems to be a pretty tough Kiwi, so 
Hopefully things are moving along. I think this feud is going to go into the next takeover. Um, Dakota needs to come out on top at the end to build towards the inevitable Tegan Knox feud, which we all know is coming eventually. Um, Tegan Knox has not been seen on television since War Games, which I think is strategic. And just building up to her return quietly. Um, that. And then the next match was um, Brizongo um, going over the Singh Brothers. Singh Brothers showing some of the moves they've shown on 205 Live, including hitting the um, Demolition Decapitation, which they have a, another name for. That's eluding me right now. But um, it was an it was interesting spot towards the end with um, Fandango doing an apron powerbomb on one of the things that looked extra painful. Um, Fandango's not really a power wrestler. So him doing power bombs is probably not the best use of him, but he did get the pin on the other Sing brother. Um, Sing's just small; they're 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 useful lackeys. I think they're just biding time for Jinder Mahal's return on the main roster. Um, I don't hate them or anything like that. Um. They're ideal cruiserweights. If there's ever a cruiserweight tag team championship, they'd be right there. Um, but um, Grizango getting a television win, um, not sure where that's going. Maybe to a title shot at TakeOver. Um, wouldn't mind seeing them against the Undisputed Era. Um, anyway, um, moving along. I don't think I'm forgetting a match. I think the next match was Bianca Belair against Casey Carter, or Caden Carter, excuse me. I will forget, I will forever mix her up with her real name, Lacey Lane. Sorry, it's just going to happen. But um, Caden, um, she seems to be a work in progress, like a lot, like Isaiah Lee. Um, sometimes she looks good, sometimes she's a little little not so smooth um she tried a spring uh handspring elbow that did not look very smooth right before she wound up falling to bianca belair um the kod finisher kiss of death if you don't know what that means um but um and that's really the only flaw that remains in bianca belair's game is that she herself is good in the ring, but she doesn't really have the knack to elevate her opponents as well. At least not yet. Maybe that'll develop in time. Uh, I may have said this before, but I I see a lot of early Charlotte and Bianca Belair. Um, I think her development is going to increase exponentially once she is regularly in the ring with more experienced expo opponents. You saw that happen with... Um, Lacey Evans on the main roster once she was fighting Becky Lynch every day and then Natalia. Those two are probably the best in-ring workers that WWE employs now, along with probably Sasha Banks. And Bailey used to have this quality. I don't see it as much anymore. 
but the ability to make your opponents look good. I mean, we're talking about Bailey. She once made Eva Marie look good. That was a miracle. But that was three or four years ago in NXT. You can go down the WWE Network around one of those early 2016 episodes and check that out. Like, easily Eva Marie's best match in, in WWE. But um, that's off the topic. Um believe that was the um, only other match other than the main event of NXT, which was um, a triple threat for the number one contender for Adam Cole's NXT Championship, which featured Tommaso Ciampa versus Keith Lee versus Finn Balor. Great match. Um, Finn Balor wound up getting the win. Lots of cool spots in it, including the finisher. The finish of the match with um, Finn Balor hitting the coup de grace right after uh, Keith Lee hit the spirit bomb on Tommaso Ciampa. And um, unfortunately, we didn't really get a gift worthy moment from Keith Lee this week. But that's okay. Can't do it every week. Then it's not as special. Um, Tommaso Ciampa hitting Keith Lee with the air raid crash was pretty impressive. But um, that all builds to next week's big show with Adam Cole defending against Finn Balor. That's going to be a barn burner of a match. And also Rhea Ripley um, going against Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's Championship. It very well could be Baszler's dethroning. But we will see. Maybe someone else will dethrone Days were down the road, but I have a strong feeling Rhea Ripley is about to be crowned. But we will find out this coming Wednesday. Overall, another strong showing for NXT this week. Um, consistent every week, they they deliver, and can't. Add, I mean, everyone from the lower card guys, your Raul Mendozas, to your mid card guys. Um, to the main eventers and the women, everyone just delivers. Oh, it seems like every time they go out there. And it's got to be commended and acknowledged. NXT is WWE's most consistent show. You don't see a lot of these sports entertainment stuff you see on Raw or SmackDown. You're not going to see Alana Rusev situation or somebody get... Um, dog food poured on them while they're handcuffed or anything like that. Um, that's the main roster thing. If you want pure wrestling, NXT is where you go. Um, but that is the end of the NXT recap, which went a little longer than I thought. I got went on a couple tangents. Um, when I come back, we will discuss the decade in review for WWE. Okay, welcome back. Now, the second moment of the 2010s decade I have here is the, one of the most memorable moments in wrestling history. When CM Punk dropped the pipe bomb in July 2011. I don't remember the exact date, but 
you can easily find this promo on YouTube. Apparently, they gave CM Punk carte blanche to say what he wanted, and did he ever, and was it memorable? It, it really, it's a promo that covers a lot of things and changed a lot of direction for, for CM Punk. And anyone he was feuding with at the time for the next couple years while he was still with the company. Um, but just going back and watching it again is amazing. And I recommend everyone just give it a look. Many of his complaints are still valid. They've changed a lot of things since then. Um, one of the people he complained about in that promo, Triple H, seems to have taken that criticism and kind of um, used it to help mold what um, NXT and 205 Lives and things like that. But um, either way, this promo, is, it's m memorable, it's revered, and it started with, um, I remember John Cena just had just lost the tables match to R-Truth. This was back when R-Truth was good, R-Truth. He was actually quite evil. And um, CM Punk had taken over the Nexus. They were the new Nexus now. And was getting set up to take on John Cena at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view that year. And also his contract was coming up. So he did, a, he did an angle where Punk... Um, was threatening to leave the company with the WWE Championship. Um, he wound up re-signing with the company. Um, and just, just reminiscing on everything CM Punk from the pipe bomb to Royal Rumble 2014 where he left the company or walked out is pretty amazing and it all was a result of the pipe bomb including his 400 some day world championship reign that um, started um, a couple months after the pipe bomb he beat Alberto Del Rio held it until The Rock beat him at I want to say Royal Rumble 2013 and build up to The Rock Cena stuff which is a whole different thing but yes, the pipe bomb was definitely one of the most memorable moments of the decade. And the subsequent promo uh, promos after that, I've seen a lot of um, clips on YouTube that string a lot of it together. And um, his mic work was masterful at the time. It was matching the ring work quite nicely. And um, that went on to dominate uh, Monday Night Raw for the rest of 2011. And then he was champion for like, all of 2012, even though he was rarely main eventing in the pay-per-views. And he never got his WrestleMania main event, which is a criminal act almost to me. But he's only just recently come back in... 
a capacity to um, WWE backstage on the Fox network in a guest spot. But um, Punk is revered and for good reason, mostly from the pipe bomb promo. Um, anyway, that was my second big moment. Um, my next big moment comes out of 2012. This was this one happened at Survivor Series. Um, involved the debut of the Shield, who came in to um, wind up help CM Punk retain his world title. Um, I think he was facing. I know Ryback was the one they they attacked when they showed up. And I, it was Ryback, and I want to say John Cena. Don't quote me. But um, Shield came out of the crowd at the end of that match. Um, did their Shield tr Shield bomb triple power bomb on Ryback through the announce table. Took him out of the match. CM Punk took care of his other opponent. One two three. And then, if you don't know, you should know the Shield. Um. It's a huge moment because of what the Shield went on to accomplish, both as a team and as individuals. This was the debut of Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Dean Ambrose, who you now know as John Moxley in AEW. They have pretty much rule wrestling right now. Seth Rollins is arguably the top guy on Raw. Roman Reigns is arguably the top guy on SmackDown. And Dean Ambrose, or John Moxley, is arguably the top guy in AEW. So, The Shield's debut, monumental, big, WWE milked at least two Shield reunions to milk everything they can off The Shield. And, um, really, that's all we can say about that. That Their debut continues to shape pro wrestling today. Um, what did I put for 2013? Oh, yes. Um, this was a, um, I think this was like a late edition. I couldn't really think of any, any other thing, but, um, it was almost a symbolic end to the original brand, brand split when, um, WWE combined the WWE Championship and the World Championship. Remember the big gold belt? Yes. But um, that, that is a big moment, including a promo where Triple H was talking and CM Punk was giving him all kinds of um, eyes behind his, his back. Excuse me, I need to take a sip of water. And in the build-up to that, it was John Cena versus um, Randy Orton match that Orton wound up winning. I believe that was a ladder match. It was like a tables, ladders, and chairs pay-per-view. But that was my big moment for 2013. Which all built up to my 2014. Because that was the end of 2013 where that happened. And there's two... It's one event, but the two major, major um, things that happened. Um, it's WrestleMania 30 is my 2014 event. This is my fifth item on the list. 
Um, but it's important for two reasons, and memorable for two reasons. The first reason was The Undertaker's undefeated WrestleMania streak coming crashing to an end against Brock Lesnar. Um, I didn't really cover Lesnar coming back. That was a pretty big deal when it happened, which was 2012. But um, him, him ending Taker's streak and Paul Heyman not shutting up about it for like six months was huge. But that was not the hugest event to me of that time. Um, during, all through 2013, WWE, really from 2012, um, when Sheamus beat Daniel Bryan in 18 seconds at rest, that couple WrestleManias prior to win the world championship, there had been a groundswell support for Daniel Bryan that's always been there that became what we call the Yes Movement. Um, Daniel Bryan, when he won the world title the first time, he was chewing his Yes chant, pointing in the air. I believe he was, he was like, he took it off like somebody from USC. But um, the fans took to it. And the fans didn't like that Daniel Bryan got jobbed out in 18 seconds. So they started chanting Yes. <laughs> they started doing his Yes chant to him. And it led to WWE basically having to turn him into a good guy. And then um, it led to the Team Hell No um, tag team that was very successful with Daniel Bryan and Kane. Probably added about three years to Kane's career. And that all built up um, towards that SummerSlam 2013 when um, Cena um, lost to Daniel Bryan. He lost the title and then... Randy Orton cashed in Money in the Bank on him right on Daniel Bryan right after, which led to the rise of the Authority, which I still look at, annoyed at to this day. I hated the Authority gimmicks so much. Um, the whole Authority run proved to me that heel the heel the heel GM's storyline has run its course. And, um, but we finally, at WrestleMania 30, Daniel Bryan finally overcame the odds and got his major championship and became world champion again, the undisputed world champion, and just a sea of tens of thousands of people chanting yes when he won was very memorable and well-deserved. Unfortunately for Daniel Bryan, he only lasted about a month after that before an injury forced him to, re to relinquish that title. He would try to come back a year later, um, got up to Intercontinental Championship st um, status at the next Mania, but a concussion forced him to retire for a time, and he only came back last year. WWE finally cleared him, and he's been healthy since he's come back from that. Hopefully, knock on wood, he stays healthy. Um, but that was my 2014 moment, WrestleMania 30 and everything that came with it. Um, then, the next thing I have listed... 
2015. Very special year. Um, another thing I want to mention that happened in 2014 was the launch of the WWE Network. Take another sip. Which led to the um, NXT becoming a major force because you can see it on the WWE Network. And um, before that, it was developmental. Um, NXT grew, um, grew out of FCW as we know it now. That, that NXT merged with um, what was FCW, and they were broadcasting it internationally for a while, and then they brought it into part of their um, WWE Network package for when they put the network together. Um, so that people can see the people that, um, the new people that are on Raw or SmackDown. And they can see um, these people develop and grow. And then the powers that be in NXT started putting together specials every three to four months. Or the first one was called NXT Arrival, which was the first network, was first special on the WWE Network. And then the second one was called um, NXT Arrival Takeover, and everyone after that has been called a takeover. Based on where they're from. In SummerSlam weekend for 2015, there was a take, special takeover called Takeover Brooklyn. This they wound up going. They've gone to Brooklyn about I think four. I think there's been four Brooklyn takeovers now. But um, this one was very important. Um. It's very important for a very specific reason, in my opinion, for a very specific match. Um, one of the nice things about NXT going on the WWE Network was that we could watch the bubbling up of women's wrestling finally being taken seriously. And at TakeOver Brooklyn in 2015... The women's championship match on that card featured Sasha Banks and Bailey. In in my opinion, one of the best matches of the decade by far. We are still waiting for them to come close to duplicating this match on the main roster. I think that the powers that be are saving that for a major, major time. A WrestleMania or SummerSlam, something like that. But... If you have not seen Sasha Banks versus Bailey's takeover from the f first takeover of Brooklyn, dear God, what are you doing? Go and watch it. You will watch women's wrestling finally be respected and the women finally put on a match that would put most men's matches to shame. They worked so well together and every women's accomplishment in my opinion since then can be traced to this match. So there's other there's other women's women's um 
what's the word I'm thinking? Women's milestones that have happened this year or in this decade. But everything can be traced to Sasha Banks versus Bailey stealing the show at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. So, Hell in the Cell women's matches. So, we've had two of them now. Um, Money in the Bank ladder matches. Royal Rumbles. Women finally winning WrestleMania, which is another thing I'll cover in a bit. All of that traces to Sasha Banks and Bailey stealing TakeOver New York. And it's just an amazing match. I, I cannot stress enough how big that match was. Okay, that covers... I believe six things. Uh, I have about three or four or four or five more other things that have happened in the second half of this decade. And we'll go over them in a moment when we come back. Welcome back to the Whole Heffin Show. Um, we are going over some of the biggest moments of the decade for WWE. And I think I jumped one of my moments that I wanted to go back to. Um, Survivor Series 2014. For longtime wrestling fans, for old school WCW fans, this was huge. That was the WWE arrival of Sting. Sting was the cornerstone of WCW. In the 90s, he, after um, WWE bought WCW, he um, collected his Turner contract and then eventually went to um, TNA for several years. And eventually he finished up there and then WWE reached out and got him to come come in during um, Survivor Series 2014 and in 2015's WrestleMania he had a match against Triple H that he wound up losing but that was a big debate at the time um, that he shouldn't have lost blah 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 WWE versus WCW WWE always wins you have to understand that but Seeing Sting in a WWE ring, especially for old school wrestling fans, was mind-blowing and cannot be understated. And then, um, unfortunately, um, he did, they did bring him back, I want to say it was 2016, or it might have been 2015, during Seth Rollins' um, title run, initial title run, and he was unfortunately injured. In that match with Rollins, um, there's a network special that recently came out about that where he and Rollins discuss what happened and everything. Um, he teases an eventual match with The Undertaker if he comes back. I'm not going to hold my breath for that, but I wouldn't mind it. Um, but that was something I had listed on here. Um, I guess I couldn't really find much for 2016. Oh, and another return, which I believe was at the end of 2016. It might have been 2017. I might have my years mixed up. But, um, the return of Goldberg 
needs to, needs to be covered as well. Because, well, when Goldberg returned, he beat Brock Lesnar in about a minute and a half. And nobody saw that coming. And that was a huge holy crap moment. So, that needs to be covered. Um, Goldberg coming back. And looking good coming back. His most recent stuff hasn't been as good this year. But him coming back at the time was a big deal. Because nobody thought it was going to ever would ever happen. And it provided proper closure, or at least a proper bookend for Goldberg's wrestling career. And that was a, that was a big time moment, big time. Let's see what I have here. I wrote that in twenty seventeen. Okay, so other things. I got two more things definitely written here. Um, 2018 started with the arrival of Ronda Rousey, which brought legitimacy to the quote-unquote women's revolution. And she would go on to represent WWE quite well for the year she was active. And... um. She would headline the first all-women's pay-per-view, Evolution, and co-headline the first women's main event for WrestleMania, which happened earlier this year, which um, this past WrestleMania, WrestleMania 35, is my final moment for two reasons. Not just that women headlined it, but come on, we were all loving Kofi Mania this year at WrestleMania. Um, Kofi Kingston is an interesting story of someone who's been on the mid card for a long time and never really got an opportunity to break into the main event until this year. Um, and supposedly this was all supposed to happen to Mustafa Ali, but Kofi wound up being the benefit of a injury to Mustafa Ali. And they put him in the Elimination Chamber this year. And the fans responded. They're like, oh, yeah, we like Kofi. Yeah, let's give Kofi this chance. And it became a huge groundswell. And I guess the powers that be realized, if we're going to do it, now's the time to do it. And this year at WrestleMania, they made Kofi champion. Um, This is important for several reasons. First off, um, the obvious um, thing is that Kofi is the first all-black person to be WWE champion. I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but that matters. And that's something that, I mean, racial tensions are what they are. They're not as crazy as they were in the 60s or anything like that, but they're definitely still around. And WWE has never, I mean, the closest they'd ever gotten to making uh, someone of color, of an African-American person, into champion was The Rock, who was half black, half Samoan. Um, The world championship had been held by a few um, 
African-Americans, Booker T, Mark Henry. But the WWE Championship had never been held by a fully black person. Um, obviously, um, it has been held by other nationalities before. Back in the early 70s, Pedro Morales was um, he's Puerto Rican. And WWE was based out of New York, where there's a huge Puerto Rican population. So, that made sense. And, um, going forward, um, it was quite a while before someone of other racial ilk, I think The Rock, really, was the next, um, major person of minority descent, um, but other people have held that title, um, and Kofi was the first black person to win it, and it can be argued that other others should have gotten it before him, but he was the one to break the barrier, and Kofi's work with the New Day in the last five years has been amazing, everything with the New Day, a faction that probably wasn't expected to go anywhere and has had longer legs than the NWO and Degeneration X and pretty much any other faction other that that's not called the Four Horsemen. But that has to be commended. They found something that works. It's worked great for them. And it eventually got him the world title. And everyone was ready to see Kofi Kingston win the world title this year. Kofi Mania was a thing. Um, the internet may have eventually turned on him, but that month going into WrestleMania was nice to see. And it was a big moment for many reasons. And those are my moments of the decade for the 2010s. I'm sure I've missed some... Um, Somebody will say that the Rock Cena stuff was um, big, which was fun for its time, but were there really any true long-term effects to that? It can be argued, not really. I don't think there wasn't much long-term effects to um, Cena versus Rock. It popped, a it popped two WrestleManias in a row. It was supposed to be one, and then they decided to do it again for the title. That's cool. We got Rock to um, come back for a couple matches. Now Hollywood doesn't want him wrestling anymore. It is what it is. He is the biggest star in Hollywood. But he know he knows where his bread was originally buttered, so he'll come and say hi every once in a while. Um. But yeah, that's um something big. Um, I saw a lot of people mention AJ Styles' um, debut at the Royal Rumble. Uh, was that 2016, I believe? Um, yeah, that was big. That was bigger for the IWC than um, big moment over. Um, overall, it was a fun moment. And AJ Styles has en entrenched himself as a top flight superstar. In WWE. <laughs> um, some people mentioned um, Seth Rollins cashing in at WrestleMania. His money in the bank. Um, I think that moment would have been bigger. Had that um, title reign. 
not ended in injury, which is a shame. Because um, it would have been nice to see who would have taken down Seth Rollins. It was looking like it was going to end up being Roman Reigns. But, um, yeah, they've tried several times to do big moments with Roman Reigns. And it seems to never really quite work. Um, they haven't really tried a true big moment with Roman Reigns. Um, you know what? Roman's comeback. This There was another reason this WrestleMania was big. I mean, the man had a legitimate leukemia diagnosis, did his treatment, and was able to put it back in remission and come back and has stayed healthy and has gotten quite better in the ring in all facets. His promos are better, his ring work is better, and his presence is better. I mean, and I think he's better appreciated now course working with drew mcintyre for four months uh, right after you came back will help as well but it can't be stated that that was big and he also got a uh, movie role in hollywood while he was out in that hobbs and shaw movie which i finally saw recently um but that was another reason this year's wrestlemania was one of the big moments um, but you can take um, a bunch of other things. I'm trying to remember when exactly Shawn Michaels' retirement was. Was it 20, 2009 or 2010? That can be argued to be one of the big moments of the year as well. You know, I think the Nexus invasion was bigger for that year just because of the long-term ramifications of it. It gave us Daniel Bryan, who has been a fixture in WWE the entire decade as he should have been um I covered the women's revolution in my um gushing over takeover Brooklyn's Sasha Banks versus Bailey match cause I think that was the real trigger for the women's revolution um other than that I think that covers everything if you have any thoughts Definitely let me know. And other than that, I thank you for giving us a listen, uh, giving me a listen on the whole Heffin show. And we'll catch you next week and we'll see what topics I decide to cover then. Thank you very much and you have a nice day. Enjoy wrestling. Welcome back to the whole Heffin show. I had said in my intro that I was going to cover some of the biggest moments in WWE in the past decade, going back to 2010. And I wanted to touch on that now. My first moment is the Nexus Invasion, which happened back in the summer of 2010. Um, Before I go into this, let's provide a little bit of background Nexus were all part of the original NXT, which got its start in the beginning of 2010 after WWE decided to end the ECW brand extension that we now mockingly refer to as WWECW because it was nothing like the original ECW. But um, they did a... um, 
did this as a way as to introduce their audience to new stars that they had signed and they were developing. Um, they set them up with um, current roster people, the new people, and had them doing some matches and some obstacle course entertainment stuff. And um, the WWE Universe would vote on who they liked and things of that nature. Um, that was the original incarnation of NXT, which a few years down the road, once Triple H took it over, Triple H would rebrand NXT and combine it with their developmental league in Florida Championship Wrestling, FCW, to eventually grow into the NXT you know now. But um, the, this original incantation um, had eight superstars that we were introduced to. The winner of the um, original season of NXT was Wade Barrett, and it included um, Daniel Bryan, um, Heath Slater, and um, others that are no longer with the company, like... Um, Justin Gabriel, um, Darren Young, um, Skip Sheffield, who would be rebranded as Ryback, and a gentleman by the name of Michael Tarver, who I don't believe is in wrestling anymore. I might be forgetting someone else, I'm not sure. But either way, um, when WWE first season of Nexus was over they decided to call them all up and make them their own group and have them invade raw after a john cena versus cm punk match and they um came in at the end of that match tore everything on around the ringside area up and um there was an interesting incident where daniel bryan choked out the ring announcer with uh his tie and I guess somebody in the back didn't like that, and that led to him being fired for a short time. Um, WWE was smart enough to bring him back for SummerSlam that year. And um, he would wind up being the first Nexus guy to win a title. He wound up winning the U.S. Championship from The Miz, who was about to go on a, his... Um, I, believe, I believe he was about to get his world title run. That might have been the next... No, I think this was all this year, that year. Um, at the end of that year. But either way... Um, they were trying to establish Wade Barrett as the leader and main eventer for the Nexus. Um, why they didn't give him the, the title during the fall of 2010, I do not know. Um... Looking back at it, it just looks like the Nexus was just formed to give C John Cena um, just a giant group that he can beat everyone and basically go over the entire group. Um, Nexus, they wound up adding some people from the second season of NXT. Um, they added Michael McGillicuddy, who you now know as Curtis Axel. Um... Husky Harris, who you now know as Bray Wyatt. And uh, 
big guy named Mason Ryan, who um, I don't believe is involved with wrestling. Last I heard, he's working with Cirque du Soleil. But um, either way, um, there was a little bit of fluidity with the Nexus people. Um, most of them are no longer with the company. But during the summer and fall of 2010, Nexus was clearly the focal point of WWE programming. And um, it, it was interesting television at the time. Like I said, the long-term effects were more along the lines of who is still in WWE from um, those days, which... He's Slater's become an afterthought, which is a shame. Um, but Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt have become the true standouts of um, the NXT time. Um, Wade Barrett um, had an interesting career for a time. He won the Intercontinental Championship a few times. Um, but he kept getting injured, which unfortunately killed his chances of being a main eventer. Um, it's a shame because especially when he came back with the bad news Barrett gimmick that was, um, looking like he would, he could ride that to the top or maybe to a, um, face turn, but WWE never decided to do that. Um, couple, several of the, um, several of the, um, Nexus members wound up being tag team champions. I just remembered who I forgot from the Nexus, David Otunga who still works for WWE on the pre-show panels. Um, but he was, a, he was a tag champion with John Cena, of all people. Um, Justin Gabriel and Heath Slater were tag champions together. Heath Slater also won a tag title with Rhino. Um, Darren Young would eventually go into the Time Time Players with a Season 2 NXT guy named Titus O'Neil, still with the company. Um, they, um, won a tag title. Um, I believe David Otunga also won a tag title with Michael McGillicuddy slash Curtis Axel, who also has an Intercontinental title reign to his credit, and another tag title reign with Bo Dallas as the B-team, which is where he currently is. Um, did anyone else win a title from the Nexus? No, there's a bunch of tag titles, um... Part of the Nexus split it off into a group called The Core, which didn't last too long. Um, Heath Slater also did 3, 3MB, 3-Man Band. Um, and is doing, I guess, house shows and raising his kids now. Um, why he's not in the 24-7 mix, I do not know. But he is still with the company. Um, we all know Daniel Bryan and, um, Husky Harris became Bray Wyatt. He reinvented himself in FCW slash NXT and recently took his Bray Wyatt character in a whole new reinvention as the Fiend. And it's really the story of Nexus. Um, I did see that um, Wade Barrett is going to be announcing for NWA. Um, I don't know if it's going to be on power, but I know he's going to be announcing at their next paper. 
their pay-per-view coming up. So, that could be interesting. Um, Justin Gabriel became PJ Black on the Indies. He's still bouncing around. Um, Skiff Sheffield became Ryback. He had a nice little run, but eventually decided not to um, extend his contract. He does not really do much wrestling now, but he's still pretty socially active. I think he's trying to get into... um, some kind of um Instagram training or something like that. I have to double check. I haven't looked at his stuff in a while. I don't know whatever happened to Michael Tarver. Otunga, I believe he still practices law on his off time. He's no longer married to Jennifer Hudson. Um and still works WWE um pre show panels and the like. But that's a quick overview off the top of my head of what people in the Nexus have gone on to do. Um, And overall, it was quite impactful. And it's um, ripples are still felt today in the careers of Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt.